Thank you, George. He is my biggest cheerleader. I can always rely on him to get the crowd pumped up for me. So thanks, George. I appreciate that. Uh, my name is Dan. I am on staff here with the MSU venue. Um, a couple of the things I do, I help lead the setup and teardown team on Sunday mornings. So um, a lot of time and work goes into setting this place up to have a church service. Um, I also do coffee tent like Shiloh was talking about. Um, that is just a great joy during the week that I get to uh, be able to serve coffee to students. So, um, yeah, so right now we're in the last week of the series um, where we're going through the Apostles' Creed. And um, I wanted to start off by sharing a few things that I've learned about the Creed um, through this series. So the Creed here is the core teaching of the Apostles. And the Apostles were just Jesus' disciples. They got a title change um, once Jesus ascended into heaven. Um, so it's the summary of their faith and what they preached and taught um, after Jesus ascended. By the 5th century, um, it was written down to, the, uh, to what we have today. So it's been around for um, so long. Now it is believed that the creed was originally uh, formulated to protect the church against early heresies and deviations from Orthodox Christian doctrine. Now, different denominations use it differently in worship. Um, some use it during, during communion, others prayer, baptism, songs. And so while Christianity as a religion is greatly divided, the Apostles' Creed affirms the common heritage and basic beliefs that unite Christians around the world and throughout history. So we may have different views on open-handed topics, but we believe the creed together. Now, the Apostles' Creed is a, it's a quick summary of the 66 books in the Bible. There's 1,189 chapters and 31,000-plus verses. So the creed helps us get our arms around the big story. Then when each of us, when we say, I believe, at the beginning... Each of us becomes part of something bigger than our individual selves. We proclaim truth and unity together. So as we've done each week, let's stand together and we're going to say the Lord's or the Apostles' Creed together. And it will be up on the screens for you to follow along. So as Young did last week, we're going to count down from three. So after I say one, we're going to read. Three, two, one. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thanks, guys. All right, so for today, we're going to focus on, um, I believe, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So when I first got scheduled to preach on this, my immediately thought was, okay, I'm talking about when we die and go to heaven. 
And immediately I had some uncomfortable thoughts and feelings um, towards that because I am terrified of death and eternity. I have friends who over the years I've heard say, um, you know, I would just love to be with Jesus. Like, I'm okay to die and go be with Jesus. And I am the complete opposite of that. Um, So, like, I've heard and know that heaven is perfect, but there's just, like, something about eternity that is scary. It's a little bit unknown. Um, And another thing is, I feel like I have a pretty good life on this earth. Um, Yeah, some suffering happens, some pain and trials, but overall, I'm really happy with life, and I don't want to give it up. But as I did prep work, I realized that there's so much more to our lives and um, in the here and now regarding the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So we're going to look at what this means to us right now as well as in the future. So I hope I can do uh, at least two things for you today. If you're like me and you're scared of eternity, I hope I can offer some truth to ease your fear and you can see the beauty of eternity and life everlasting. The second thing is, I hope that you can realize and start living with a life everlasting mindset right now. I want you to think about eternity this way. Life everlasting isn't far off in the future. It starts now. So let me pray and we'll dive in um, and see what scripture has to say about this. Heavenly Father, would you speak to us through the Bible? Would you speak through me? Lord, transform our spirit, soul, and body for your glory. May we live with an eternity mindset in the here and now, and may we not be afraid of the future. Help us to love you and love others better today when we leave here. Amen. So as the Apostles' Creed was coming out in the early 5th century, there was a rise of Greek philosophy, right? And that's important context to know why the resurrection of the body is talked about in the Creed. Greek philosophy divided the world into material and spiritual. So material was the physical, and the spiritual was like faith, okay? They thought to be really spiritual, you only dealt with things of the spirit. The material, the physical reality, and the spiritual were not connected. With that philosophy, it was believed that God had no plan for the body. They thought God was only concerned about salvation of our spirit. But here's the thing. God is concerned about our bodies. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation is for our spirit, soul, and body. In the ultimate salvation of our bodies, that's called resurrection. Another example of God caring about our bodies is looking at the Gospels, and it's full of Jesus physically healing people. Blind, deaf, lame, even the dead— Many times the gospels say uh, that Jesus healed someone because he had compassion on them. And if we want to know about God, then we look to the person of Jesus. We see Jesus caring for the physical of a person. Now, I hope that truth that God is concerned with our bodies is comforting. 
But I also want to address the reality that this may not be comforting because you don't believe it based on experience. Why didn't God heal fill in the blank? Grandparent, parent, sibling, friend? I've had that thought. In the past eight years, I've lost my dad and then my grandma and then my grandpa to cancer. If God is concerned with our bodies, why didn't he heal them? The reality that we live in is there are, our bodies are limited and deteriorate because of sin. We will all come to the point when we and our loved ones physically die in our bodies. And it sucks. It is the worst. No matter how long you are with them, it will always be too soon when they go. And I wanted to bring this up because I live with that some, same unease that some of you might have. We never know God's timing when it comes to death and why he didn't heal them. But here's the thing I want you to hear from me. God's ultimate plan is not to keep patching up these old tents that we have. His ultimate plan is to resurrect these tents into glorious mansions. Somehow in God's sovereignty, love, grace, and mercy, he gives us time on this earth in our bodies so that we can have the opportunity to make an impact on someone for the life everlasting. And here's the truth we remind ourselves that the creed points out. We and our loved ones who have put our faith in Jesus will one day have perfect resurrected bodies. In the midst of our questioning and pain, we have to cling to the hope of the gospel that Jesus brings. That one day, for those that are saved, our resurrected bodies will experience life everlasting where sin and physical death will never touch us again. We have to cling to that hope of the future glory that Jesus brings. And I want to point something out, um, that God is concerned about our bodies, right? But a key piece of that is he's concerned with how we use our bodies. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So right away we see a therefore. And whenever we see therefore, we always say, what's a therefore? All right, that's good. You guys have been paying attention. I like that. Um, this is a uh, transition here in chapter 12 from chapters 1 through 11 in Romans. So Paul is about to apply, apply all the theological um, explanations he has developed um, in the past 11 chapters. And just before chapter 12, there's this hymn of praise. Um, it's about God's wisdom and purpose and plans of everything. So in light of all this, in light of that praise, um, we are to live our lives in sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices of animals at the altar were used to cleanse people of their sins. That was an act of service to God as part of worship. Now in the New Testament, where we have Romans, we have the final sacrifice of Jesus, so there's no need for those sin sacrifices again. Paul here is saying that acts of service to God is now different as our bodies are the sacrifice used for service. 
Prior to this, sacrifice was death. Now, sacrifice is life. We live as servants to God by using our bodies to serve him and others. When we meet the needs of others, that is a service of worship to God. But that doesn't come easy. Our natural inclinations are to put ourselves first. I do that so often. But we develop a serving mindset and attitude by prayer and looking at the example of Jesus. And God is pleased and delighted in us when we act in service to him by meeting the needs of others. Now, a thing I want to note is that our acts of service to God, they don't make him begin to love us or love us any more than he already does. When we live our lives in service to God, we are simply returning love to the one who loved us first. God has loved, does love, and will always love you to a capacity which you cannot fathom, regardless of what you do. Now, something that a commentator mentioned um, as reading it brought up a thought. Um, Oftentimes we hear Christians say, I've given my heart to Jesus, or I've given my heart to God, or Jesus lives in my heart. Now, maybe that's semantics, um, but why should it only be our heart, right? God wants more than your heart. He wants all of you, mind, soul, spirit, and body. The body is how we do these acts of service that show love, the love of God to the broken world. Now, think about the greatest act of service and love. Jesus gave up his body on the cross, beaten and bloodied, And so that should be our example to give our bodies in service and sacrifice to others as well. So I know I've been talking about our bodies in the present tense. So let's shift gears a little and look at what our resurrected bodies are going to be like. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44 says this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So here, Paul uses some contrast to help us um, understand um, our bodies now and in the future. Um, And then on all of these accounts, right, all four accounts, the resurrected body is far superior. So the first thing our new bodies will be is incorruptible or imperishable. Our resurrected bodies will never be sick. They won't decline. We won't have the problems from aging and never die. Now, that's, I like hearing that because I'm 33. So that's like ancient to you guys. Um, and up until 32, I could hang with you guys. Like, I could stay up late, do all this. You know, I thought it was pretty cool. When I hit 32, I hit a brick wall. So now, like, getting out of bed in the morning is difficult. You know, when I bend over, it's, ugh. You know, my knees crack. So thinking about this type of body is really awesome for me. Um, and you guys shouldn't laugh too much because you'll be there pretty soon. 
Um, in all seriousness, getting back to um, the second thing, our bodies will be glorious, okay? And we see a couple instances of our bodies being glorified in Scripture. Um, one of them, Moses went up on the mountain to uh, meet face-to-face with God. And when he came back down the mountain and appeared in front of the Israelites, his face was shining, like it had a glow. Um, in the Gospels, Jesus goes up um, to a mountain with some of his disciples, and he is transfigured, and the disciples can't even look at him. So there will be a brightness, a radiance, and a glory shining from us because we will be in the presence of God. The third thing, our bodies will be powerful. Now, the human body can do some amazing things, right? Like, think about the Olympics that are going on. I mean, there is some skill and talent and athletic feats that are unimaginable. But overall, our bodies are weak. We have limitations. We decline. We get injured and sick. But that's not the case for our resurrected bodies. So I was thinking about this, like having a new body in heaven. And I was like, maybe I'll be able to bench more than the bar in heaven. Um, <laughs> Maybe I can hit a 300-yard drive in heaven, or maybe I can dunk a basketball. Um, So that's what I'm looking forward to. I don't know about you guys. Um, Once again, getting back to the fourth thing here, um, our bodies, our resurrected bodies will be completely filled, and that's by the Holy Spirit. Colin Smith, a pastor in Chicago, said this about our resurrected bodies. When Paul speaks about a spiritual body, he's speaking about a body that is fully responsive to the Holy Spirit. That is a marvelous thought. In the resurrection body, you will never feel or think or say, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our resurrected body will be eager to do the will of God as our redeemed spirit. One commentary also said it like this. The spiritual body is wholly dominated by the spirit and therefore has no desire or capacity to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we have a lot to look forward to when it comes to our resurrected bodies. But keep in mind that you can start using your bodies now to meet the needs of others and that brings glory to God and he deserves it. So let's transition a little bit here and look at life everlasting. Now, to clarify for this part, I'll be using the words life everlasting and eternity. And there's a slight difference in the wording. And so life everlasting is the quality of life. And eternal life is forever, as in the time period. Now, when we talk about life everlasting and eternity, We aren't just talking about an extension of our current lives, right? Life everlasting is the transformation of our current existence for eternity, the rest of time. So let's see what scripture has to say about the transformation. Revelations 21, 3 through 6 says this. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, 
because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of water and life. In verse 3, it said, God's dwelling. In the Old Testament, God commanded Moses um, to build a tabernacle, and that would be God's dwelling place on earth. Now, that is in the past representation of God's dwelling place. This dwelling place that we read about here is the reality of his presence without limitations or barriers. Verse 3, it says, He will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. This is a statement of God's desire and our purpose. God's desire is to live close, live in close fellowship with man. And man's purpose is to be a united people unto God. Verse 4, death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. I touched on death earlier in relation to our bodies. Um, but here's a, a hope and a truth that I really want you guys to cling to. So listen carefully. The grief, crying, and pain that comes from injustice will be no more. The grief, crying, and pain that comes from sympathy, compassion, and empathy will be no more. The grief, crying, and pain that comes from neglect and abuse will be no more. The grief, crying, and pain that comes from sin will be no more. The grief, crying, and pain that comes from death will be no more. Fill in the blank for what causes grief, pain, and crying. It will be no more. Emil Brunner, Swiss theologian um, in the early 1900s, wrote this in his book, Our Faith. What is eternal life? The answer is this. It is life with God, in God, from God, life in perfect fellowship. Therefore, it is a life in love. It is love itself. It is life without the nature of death and of sin. Hence, without sorrow, pain, anxiety, care, and misery. To know this suffices to make one rejoice in eternal life. Verse 5 of that Revelations passage says, Look, I am making everything new. Now, has anyone had the thought or wish like, I wish Adam would have never ate that piece of fruit and ushered in sin and death. Like, I wish we could get a do-over. But the thing is, we fail to realize that the redeemed man is greater than the innocent man. We gain more in Jesus than we ever lost in Adam. God's perfect state for us, for life everlasting, is that of redemption. Now he says, look, I'm making everything new. And that's an authoritative announcement coming from the throne of God itself. He proclaims, look, I am making everything new. And that is the consummation of God's work of renewal and redemption. This renewal and redemption has already begun in the here and now of our present time. 
If we're all honest with ourselves, most of us see heaven as something that will happen a long time from now um, because we're all relatively young. The thing we have in common, um, I believe, is that we all try to start building heaven on earth um, while we're here. We try to create this renewal and redemption ourselves. But if we're honest, we're easily disappointed time and time again. Even if we are successful, it only lasts for a little bit of time. There's a whole book in the Bible that explains this pursuit of heaven on earth. It's Ecclesiastes. It's where King Solomon experimented with everything life has to offer. Money, sex, possessions, alcohol, music, parties, education, books, armies, the list goes on and on. And his conclusion was, in Ecclesiastes 1-2, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All his accomplishments and pursuits amounted to nothing more than chasing the wind. See, heaven on earth, renewal and redemption is only possible through a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said in John 17:3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Life everlasting is an eternal relationship with God, which begins in this life when we put our faith in Jesus. And it transcends this life and continues for all of eternity. Now, life everlasting can start for you today if it hasn't already. I know for me, Um, I'm guessing some of you too. Like I said a little bit earlier, eternity, heaven, it's such a long time from now. Um, The younger you are, the truer that is. But you don't have to wait until you die to start experiencing life everlasting. God wants to put that life everlasting in you right now. John 10.10, Jesus says, I've come to give abundant life. Now, that abundant life doesn't mean we have a perfect life in this world. It means we have a different life, strengthened and comforted by Jesus in the midst of the brokenness in this world. This abundant life, it won't be perfected until our bodies are raised again, but it's coming. And here's something um, I want you guys to grasp here. The smallest taste of this abundant life that Jesus has to offer is better than anything the world has to offer. So it is imperative for us to start believing that everlasting and eternal life starts now, and here's why. Every one of us, every person of all time will live forever. For those who repent, believe, and trust in Jesus, the everlasting life for eternity is in heaven as one of God's beloved people where grief, crying, and pain will be no more. For those who shrug their shoulders at Jesus, thinking he's not a big deal, all the way way to uh, those who blatantly reject him, everything in between, everlasting life and eternity looks like hell with overwhelming grief, crying, and pain. Jesus says this in John 5, 28 and 29. Do not be amazed by this, Because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life 
and those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of the condemnation. Jesus is the hinge of where we will end up for eternity. Now, here's the the thing. God created this world. We see in Genesis, it was a perfect world. We had humanity. We had a perfect relationship with God. Um, We clearly look outside the window. We turn on the TV, and we see that is not the case whatsoever. We live in a broken world. And we try to escape this brokenness. We try to create heaven on earth, and it just doesn't work. Well, God's not okay with us being stuck in that brokenness. So what he did is he sent Jesus down to this world to live a perfect life that you and I can't live. Jesus then died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for you and me. Three days later, he rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death, and offers us abundant life life everlasting in a resurrected body. Our response is we repent, which simply means turn the other direction. We turn from our sin. We start to follow Jesus. We believe in who he is and what he did. We trust him as Lord and Savior. So do you repent to the best of your ability? Do you believe to the best of your ability? Do you trust to the best of your ability? Every person you and I have met every day has an eternal destiny in the life everlasting. Can we make a difference for their eternity? The simplest of acts, like giving a cup of water to someone who is thirsty, can have eternal significance. But know this, that good works cannot save someone. The proclamation of the gospel needs to happen for someone to hear and respond in faith. That is why it is so important for us to proclaim the liberating power of the gospel. To sum up eternal life and life everlasting, um, Ray Pritchard in uh, Chasing the Winds in uh, his book points out these things. We won't be truly home until we are with the Lord in heaven. Eternal life begins the moment we believe, not the moment we die. And life everlasting in heaven are all about knowing Jesus. Lastly, we close out the Apostles' Creed with the word, Amen. In Scripture, we find three common uses of the word, Amen. Um, The first is for covenant oaths. And covenants are just like a more robust promise. The second is with benedictions. It's saying a blessing to someone. That's what a benediction is. And the last one is doxological use. It's way we praise God. So singing and worship, that's an example. In in a basic definition, what amen is, is an affirmation of truth. Now, I've been preaching, I don't know, I haven't been timing myself, but I haven't heard a single amen to
or faith in the commitment, okay, uh, commitment to the God whose greatness we have just considered. To say amen to the creed is to pray that the power and presence of God might touch our lives, deepen our love for him, and enhance our understanding of his gospel. So what I want to do with you is just close out with a benediction. So I pray that you can use your current body to the best of your ability for the glory of God. May you find hope in the truth of our future resurrected bodies. May you find hope in the reality of life everlasting in heaven. May you be filled with this desire to see others begin to live abundant lives here and now. I bless you in the name of the Lord. Amen.